You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. Today my guest is Miss Rosette Hirsch. Uh, Rosette uh, worked for a long time at Plaza Watch, is responsible for some of my favorite um, watch photography, especially sort of in a magazine sense. And we've had uh, adventures together and we've talked about watches together and we've laughed together. And I'm really happy to welcome you to Superlative. Uh, hey, Rosette. Hi, Ari. How are you? I'm... I'm good. I'm, you know, I just realized that our entire show is supposed to be about something visual and we're talking about it, which means we have to be very descriptive. Yes, that's for sure. Let's do this. I remember walking the halls of SIHH for a number of years and admiring this photography that was sort of in this hallway area. And I believe you were responsible for some of that photography. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, uh, we had to convince them for I think like over six years that we should do something. I mean, the hallway was uh, so long. I mean, there had to be uh, like an exhibition. So uh, Plaza Watch was one of the best watchers. So let let me put some context here. So SIHH was a major trade show that went on for a number of years. It just ended and is going to be transformed into a show called Watches and Wonders, which in essence is the same thing, but it's a different name. And as visitors would enter and exit um, the PAL Expo, which is a convention center at basically the Geneva Airport in Switzerland, you'd go through this hallway and it was it was very decorated in there. Um, it was a big setup, like a little mini city. And in this hallway was these large prints of... You know, think of it as fashion photography, but the subject is a watch. Yes. You know, yes. that's 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 really what it is. It was meant to take these watches and make them look as beautiful and as interesting as possible in a highly sort of thought-provoking and emotional sense. Very, very, like, um, highly produced. And there was, you know, I don't know, maybe a dozen of these images as you walk through. And thousands of people, that would be the first thing and the last thing that they thought about as they went in and out of this, you know, luxury watch trade show. And um, I always thought that must have been so great. Your name wasn't there, but do you ever think about all the people that you reached? Yeah, I mean, people were emailing us and they wanted to buy the pictures and some of them, were, you know, they had their favorite watch uh, exposed um, at the citation. I mean, they loved the uh, pictures, but we we were never selling the images. It was just... Why? Because uh, we we didn't feel... You hate, you hate money? <laughs> we hate money. No. Yeah. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't want to make a profit out of it it was uh, ju- we just love what we do and i mean we are a magazine we're we were there to print uh, promote like the latest collection from the shh um i think we were so into producing the images that we never thought of selling them i mean we uh, every year we just left them uh, to the shh crew and everyone was like taking them and um, putting up in their office, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's <laughs> it's an interesting thing. You know, it's kind of a good story as to how doing good work and having something impactful doesn't even translate into sort of success. Like it was successful in the sense that you reached all these people and you made great work, but you know, it was just sort of a, con- a convoluted thing where this industry no one's really quite always sure to like how to make business out of something beautiful. And it seems like luxury, the, the, the success people find is finding that very difficult way of making money while also making something beautiful, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I can explain like if we did, uh, when we were planning to make a picture or we had an idea, I mean, it's, it would take us that, you know, up to one month to pr- produce one picture it was a set of above 25 people. We, we were always, you know, casting the right people to be the model and the image. You know, there was so much. It, it was, was a production. It, it was, was a, a production. real production. 
I mean, when we had like a beach idea, we even transported sand in, sand into the studio. I think like one ton of sand to the studio. So it was like nothing is like a photo a Photoshop production. Everything is a big production, and that's I think what uh, the watch industry loved about us. It was something now, new; they, they never seen it before. They loved it, but also it sounds like they weren't willing to fund it. You know, you did work that was so good for people that may have not appreciated it. Now, help me understand what happened because it was so loved, but nobody, like, why was it, was it about the money? Was it about the relationships? Because these brands, they're, they're so cheap. I'm sorry to say, but they're so I mean, cheap. They want I mean, wonderful uh, things for free. I think they became cheap. I mean, the first they 20 became years, cheap. <laughs> I mean, the first 20 years we were, one of the successful magazines, but you know, when social media came, it became like fast food. I remember once I was having an interview with a CEO, watch CEO, and he told me like, look at this uh, picture, this Instagram social media guy took of our watch. It was a, you know, basic iPhone picture. And look, it's got like 100K likes and i was like uh here your I am. heart sank your you heart know? sank yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know and i i just showed them an amazing watch photography of their watch on the cover and they didn't uh, and it's gorgeous uh, it just, I, I can't yeah, it's gorgeous. i can't under i, I want I, I don't want to sort of like underemphasize how nice a great watch picture can be this industry has had these amazingly high production value photography campaigns mm-hmm. that you, Rosette, have made and a few others. And they're so awesome. But then, like you said, they're so focused on engagement. It's kind of like this is the industry to make beautiful things, but it's run by people that only want to sell things no matter how ugly it is. I know. But I I think that's coming back. I mean, it, uh, I, I think they were, uh, they were confused. But it was just interesting to see how... Uh, Social media um, became, you know, in the watch industry, everybody became like hobby photographers. And, uh, and uh, I, I was the first wave. I mean, I, I unintentionally, you know, kind of disrupted the, the professional watch photographer because I came in and I took pictures for myself. I wasn't giving it to brands, but that I published yeah. and did, you know, have sort of a, a very direct correlation to selling mm-hmm. watches and things like that. Yeah. But I never, and I, I want to say this in defense of you and the other professionals like you, I never tried to sell photography to brands, tried to say that it was a service for them, ever actually call myself a photographer. I always wanted to to give credit to real photographers doing great work because I appreciated it, but I could not control the fact that the brands simply were looking for every opportunity to spend as little as possible over the last several years. It's sort of like there's nothing you or I could have done about that. No, that's true. Uh, And it was uh, confusing as well. I mean, some brands really understood and we had like loyal brands throughout the years because the ones that actually produced their own materials and they understood how complicated and how much it costs to produce one image. And some of them actually bought them to use them in their channels for marketing. So, uh, I mean, I'm not saying everyone became uh, fast food junkies of uh, Instagram pictures, but I mean, it was a confusing period of time. I mean, it's... it's We're we're in a dark ages of media, right? Because media is basically an infinite commodity. And because it's infinite, nobody has that much incentive to put a lot of production value into it, right? Like there was a time where there was a certain amount of like movie screens, right? And like you knew it was going to have a theatrical release. It was a captive audience. You could put a bunch of money into a movie Mm -hmm. because you had this great understanding of how you're going to make that money back. These days, it's like, wait a minute, I had more people seeing it than in the theaters, but I'm making less money. So it's this sort of weird situation where you know, uh, I, I don't know if it's the opposite of inflation or something like that, but all this information has this um, presumption of both being free and also, you know, disposable and replaceable. And no one could keep up and no one could afford it. Like, imagine if you had to put in the effort behind one of your, you know, photography campaigns every single day for new stuff on Instagram. Like, it would bankrupt everyone, right? Yeah, I know. It would. So it's like, I, I, I don't know what the solution is, but we know 
that we're going through this unsustainable period. And like any storm, it's got to end at some point. For sure. But I think like it's all about knowledge, to be honest, like on um, knowledge, interest and passion. Um, not like scroll, scrolling around, like just, um, you know, um, I don't know how to explain this. But well, look, look, yeah. look, here's what we're basically trying to say. We're yeah. trying to advocate for the fact that professional watch photography is this beautiful thing that captivates people's hearts and gets them yeah. excited about watches in a way that amateur photography cannot. And what we're fighting against is a couple of things. One, there's this massive availability of photographers out there with iPhones willing to do it for free. Yeah. Remember, yeah. it used to be that you needed pictures made, you had to call a photographer, and a photographer mm -hmm. was going to try to romance you on cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Now it's like brand, brands tell me this. They're like, people send us pictures all day long. They say, hey, will you please just put me in your, in your, in your Instagram account and tag me? Mm -hmm. I'm a photographer. Let me do a bunch of stuff for you. Just send me a watch. I'll do it for free, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Brands are inundated with offers for free or highly, you know, discount style media that they're just like, wait a minute, we can make our dollars go a little bit further here. So yeah. it's sort of this weird thing where it's not really an argument of is the photography beautiful or not? It's do we need it to sell watches? I mean, I can explain to you. I mean, we did a collaboration with a brand once and they had a problem to uh, communicate out what they were doing i mean the uh, and they had like they didn't actually have like a dna or a code for uh, what the uh, brand was this could be any brand yes i know <laughs> they all looked similar so we said okay let's produce imagery that you know sets the collection and building up the brand and we did it together with them to, because you know the classic word, uh, um, sentence for uh, a picture uh, tells you more than a thousand words. Right. I mean, this is how we worked with the brand for two years, uh, building up their image from watch photography. And I mean, the, uh, they were advertising. No, on this is, this is agency style yeah. work. You're not yeah. just a photographer. You're, no. you're, you're building agency. a story. You're communicating it. I mean, look, and again, I, I used to talk about this so much. I almost willed myself to stop because I felt like a broken record, but I had been screaming into the wind for nearly 15 years now that the watch industry doesn't invest nearly as much money as it should into the sort of larger umbrella of marketing, uh, which this is part of it. And you just, I've had, you and I have had it, you've had it with other people, I've had it with other people, all these conversations that literally revolve around, wow, the watch industry would sell more or do better if they just did this marketing thing. It's like the most common conversation in this industry. Do you agree? Absolutely, I agree. But you also have, I need to have like a strategy, a red through, a red, sorry, a red thread through the entire collection and the communication. Um, and I think uh, with photography, then that's how you do it. I mean, uh, you keep the red thread uh, through the entire collection and um, how you communi communicate it. Not like working with different influencers. Um, um, I don't know. Oh, influencers. That's their favorite poison yeah. right now. <laughs> the opinion mercenaries. Image, I don't know. You know, even, yeah. the, even the influencers don't have don't seem to respect themselves anymore like i you know i see these people at events now especially since events are coming back and i know you and i have laughed about them for a long yeah. time but like they're almost they're almost like uh caricatures of themselves yeah you know they they're so open about the fact they just take money for stuff they're like i can't you know they're almost surprised by it they're hyper obsessed with their image they're they're very strange creatures they're not all bad people but they're very strange creatures and they're not they're not particularly great for society and they know it. Like you ask an influencer, is what you're doing good for society? They'll be like, no. Like <laughs> none of them think that this is at all helping anything. They they recognize that no one needs what they're doing and they're just they're just like, well, I'm doing it because mm -hmm. I can and there's money and what other opportunities do I have? And it's true. No one's offering these people like marketing jobs. No one's saying like, oh, you should be an actor or an actress or uh, uh, you should lead this company. Like that's the weird thing. Like we have all this pe these people who get internet famous 
but then there's no one to hire them. So then what happens? You, you, I hate to use the term, you, ha- you then have to whore yourself out, right? Yeah. You, you got bills to pay. You, you spent all this time getting famous. You got an expensive lifestyle. Uh, you can't make money the legitimate way. Well, you, you whore yourself out. And isn't that what an influencer is? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I, I'm going to sound old now, but uh, do you remember back in the days when it was just... Yeah, when you say it, remember <laughs> back in the days, yeah, you're going to say guaranteed. Like, yeah, but, I mean, do you remember when it was only one watch journalists uh, at the fairs and uh, uh, at the events? I mean, why does because, that make you sound old? I don't understand. I mean, it was like, like it was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, because you can't. Back before my knees were creaking, eh? I mean, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, some watch journalists, you know, quit their job and became, uh, you know, started working with something else, and because the influencers are being, uh, you know, invited to stuff, and they can't those even. Those people never uh, did anything this, to begin with. Those yeah. people wrote wrote some of those people, and you're right. There's some great people that left, but a lot of the people. They wrote the most useless nonsense. It was just like words. It's like my skill is writing words. But at least they were writing something. I mean, um, no one was reading it. They were being paid good money to do very little. No, I remember. No, I'm going to tell you something. I remember it was a dinner at Basel World years Mm -hmm. ago. I was having a conversation with someone who's at a magazine. And I don't remember how it came up, but they mentioned the amount of words that they needed to write per quarter. Mm-hmm. And I did a calculation in my head. I'm like, okay, so you're paid uh, a salary, you travel around, and basically the only output you need to do, because you're a watch writer, is to write this many words per quarter. And I wrote that many words in less than a week. Okay? Yeah. And I was like, so I could do multi- – like, I was like doing the math. I was like, wow, I could take over like 10 of you guys, okay? <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and make a handsome living. And then I realized, uh-oh. Unfortunately, you guys are about to go out because the industry is going to determine that you're overpaid. I'm not saying mm-hmm. they were, but their jobs at that, that point was was too easy because no one was relying on it. Those people were not writing for large communities. They were writing to satisfy advertisers' whims. It's not, you know, there were the people that wrote for the big magazines, but there's very I, little I see, of that. I see what you mean. I know, but uh, not all of them was uh, like that. I mean, no, uh, no. there will always be the good ones and bad ones. But what I mean is that it was 100% watch journalists. Now it's like 50% journalists, 50% influencers. Influencers that can't even pronounce the, na- the name of the brand sometimes. Or well, they look, just let, take let me, let me explain why. and not the watch. And that's the difference. The, the influencers <laughs> filled the positions that were no longer able to be filled by watch journalists. As the watch yeah. journalists went out, yeah. no one was there to replace them. So it's like influencers were like the next best thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I mean, I can't sit during a presentation and they are just taking picture of themselves while the, <laughs> the this designer is, you know, I eager love to, it. to talk about the watch that they've been working on for Here's so many years. Here's why I love it. And I, Here's why like I love so it. It's so disturbing. I hate it. I know. I know. Yeah. But look, it's sort of like, you remember in school and there were those kids that were clearly not paying attention and you remember yeah. thinking to yourself like, your lives are going to suck because, yeah, you feel like you're awesome right now, but you're not actually learning, which means you actually aren't going to gain skills or do anything. These people are going to find some type of you know, roadblock where they can't be influencers anymore. And they're like, hey, what else am I good at? It's like, oh, shit, nothing. <laughs> That's hard. <laughs> no, seriously. I, I, they know that. Like, okay, they're good at spending other people's money to wear the, the, the most fashionable thing in the moment yeah. and say that thing that is the most socially acceptable right now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're literally honed in on exactly what society wants people to say. There are some jobs for them, but they're just like weird professional liars and chameleons. Like they're not, mm-hmm. they're not really people anymore. No. Like mm-hmm. they know this. They have these identity crises. You know, you, you, you take some of them, you peel off all the makeup and the fancy clothes and like there's just, there's just a perfectly ordinary, boring person with very few personal opinions. <laughs> it's true. That's all no. that's left after just peeling back a couple of layers. You know, they, they, 
they created I mean, all I'm saying is I'm not threatened by these people in the long run because they have very limited lifespans and they don't actually do society a lot of good. They're there because advertisers really want to pay them. No consumers ever want to take them seriously once they learn that their entire job is just to be an opinion mercenary. The ones that are successful have some other shit going for them, but they're actually, you know, you know, they're only popular for a limited amount of time. The internet has like not that long of an appetite for most people. You know why I love a blog to watch? I mean, uh, before I met you, I was always, you know, going in because it was like an honest review of a watch. It wasn't like, this is the watch, this is how it looks like. It was like, it was so honest. It it was, this is the function and this is what it does. The, this is our take on it. And I think it was, it felt like a friend talking, uh, explaining a, a uh, watch to me and it was great i mean it was educational um and uh, that's rare in the industry it's uh, now you can just see a watch being posted with the name and reference it's like so pointless it's like yeah um, um, well yeah you know the thing is this the internet is ruled by whatever catches the most attention not it what's is. the highest quality i went to law school and when I started writing for a public, I was like, wait a minute, someone's going to judge me based upon what I say to them. I better not lie to them or mislead them or be foolish. So I'm going to tell them what I think and explain myself because that's the right thing to do. But then I realized years later, uh-oh, not everyone went to law school. No. <laughs> and so we have a lot of people that are writing for an agenda, are doing what they think works by you know, yeah. looking at something else. And you have a deficit of people who have really this notion of, I want to be useful to my audience. Mm -hmm. so, so we're talking about influencers. We're talking about some of the challenges in media and these low quality voices and things like that. And you live in Sweden. And I'm wondering, um, is this something which is around the world in all languages and cultures? Or is this mostly something from America and, or the English speaking uh, social media world? Oh, of course it's, uh, I mean, it's present in Sweden as well. I mean, uh, uh, if you take Instagram, it's uh, internationally. Everyone, everyone is watching what uh, everyone is doing. I mean, nothing is unique anymore. I mean, uh, humanity is different right now. Everybody just wants to expose what they're doing, eating, drinking, showcasing everything. I mean, so we, here's, what, here, here's the yeah. thing. I, I don't like to put a moral slant on it or say it's good or bad. I think it's too easy to do that. But I think that the consensus that we've come to by yourself and myself is that a lot of social media content is just frankly distasteful. It's the type of thing that doesn't really hold your attention. And you hear about Instagram and Facebook on the news all the time. And then you browse these platforms yourself and you're like, wait a minute, these are supposed to be like the biggest, most powerful, the richest, most advanced tech companies. But you spend a couple of minutes on their platforms and it's, you know, weird stuff or stuff you don't care yeah. about or misleading stuff or unfriendly stuff or stupid stuff mm -hmm. or, or untruthful stuff or just just silliness or kids stuff or just it exactly. doesn't really teach you about what's going on or how yeah. to be successful or how to have better relationships with other human beings. It doesn't give you a lot of skills. It doesn't open up career doors for you. For the most part, it, it doesn't really give you so much. So what, what's the big deal? Why is everyone talking about Instagram and how it's amazing and how all the kids need to be using it? I'm so confused. And maybe a lot of people feel that way. I mean, it's because it's for free. I mean, everything that needs work, um, it, it needs time. And I don't know if many people want to, uh, you know, take, uh, take their time and produce great material for Instagram that can be stolen any minute because all images and text can be taken away uh, and reposted and used and not tagged and so on. I mean, that's the thing where, when we were doing the images in the magazine, nothing was for profit, but of course we had advertisers that appreciated and wanted to advertise with us and understood them, the magazine. But when we were compared to influencers and um, things like that, that's when I, I think the industry lost it. I mean, uh, uh, it wasn't uh, any point anymore to spend a full month producing images that uh, was compared to an Instagram post, you know? Now let's look at it from the other side. Let's, let's sort of take the alternative position that would be contrary to our viewpoint. They would say, okay, 
Well, what you're saying is obvious because you two are in the content creation industry. You have lost out and therefore you you are, you know, maybe a little bit bitter about how the world hasn't gone in the direction of what you do, but something else. And that these are these these guys are businesses and they have their finger on the pulse of what does make the money, what doesn't make the money. And maybe the things you're talking about could make the money if they put more money into it. But you know, these guys are 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 desperate to get some type of level of normalcy. And what you're really advocating is luxury spending. And maybe that makes sense that luxury companies should be engaged in luxury spending, but practically it might not always work out that way. And that these brands are just going to do sort of what they feel like they need to do, given weird circumstances. Um, and that, you know, uh, maybe if, if what we do is so great, there's, you know, other, other avenues of doing it for more appreciative clients. Again, I'm just trying to think about the other side of it because I hate to be so one-sided because you know, I think the thing that would make us sound old is being like, you know what's better? The past. Mm-hmm. You know what sucks? <laughs> the future. Like, I don't want to... I don't ever want to come across that way. No, I'm not bitter at all. I mean, I still appreciate to watch photography and the brands that actually understand it. I'm not saying like everything is bad and they don't understand anything anymore. I'm just saying that how everything was divided into different words. I mean, I'm just like an artist. I mean, if I'm if I produce my music and the one that appreciates me will listen to me, so. Um, I mean, it was the same thing with the, the magazine. I mean, we didn't have every brand on board, but the best ones were there. And the, it was the ones that actually understood us and appreciated us. And that's what was, and that matters end of the day. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the economics of luxury, because yeah. as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking about something very interesting. We're looking throughout history of amazing pieces of art, time pieces, yeah. Um, paintings, all, you know, buildings, and most of these things throughout history were produced at the whim of a very wealthy person as a luxury item, a luxury building, a luxury timepiece, a luxury mm-hmm. car. Um, and we celebrate these, these things that were made as luxuries by people that could afford them. So you and I, in, in sort of a direct or indirect way, thrive when we can have a patron, right? We're creators, like mm-hmm. artists get to do those wonderful the art when there's that rich person to pay for it. Like society's mm. not going to pay for it. Like Kickstarter wasn't going to do like, you know, a Sistine Chapel ceiling, all right? That, you just had to have someone crazy rich with a vision and said, you know what? That's going to be awesome. Hire the painters. It's going to be amazing. I, I Just trust me. It's going to be cool. And so one, when, when, when people have a large amount of money to spend and want to prove themselves to others and there's this competitive growth, they're spending. Be like, you know what's going to make our watches awesome? If we hire this beautiful team to make these amazing watches and it's going to mm-hmm. look gorgeous. And, and it, our, our watches, even though they're priced less than the other guy, they're going to look like they're worth, they're worth more. That's definitely worth you know, this, this, this expensive month-long shoot. And, and maybe the, what we're seeing is that the luxury industry, you know, despite the fact that it's for the luxury industry, doesn't really have a lot of luxury margins right now or luxury profits. And this is, you know, so the success that you were talking about over the 20-year period, the industry was growing. And now we know the industry is shrinking. Maybe what's going on right now is just completely what we should expect. And we, there's no reason to, you know, complain about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, uh, it will be interesting to see how the watch industry will be. And maybe uh, they won't launch 20 new models. Maybe they launch 10 models, which I think is fine for uh, a drop. I mean, uh, they, it's good to understand, I mean, uh, understand the models and, um, I mean, uh, be more focused. Before it was like, um, uh, it was a big spread. Don't you remember sometimes like uh, some presentation can be like two hours long? <laughs> um, uh, I think it's um, uh, it's going to be interesting to see for sure. Uh, what was interesting about it was we had this snapshot as to how weird and wild the world luxury industry was because yeah. we constantly saw products or even entire brands were like, I don't understand how anybody could buy any of this stuff, mm-hmm. but it's doing well somewhere, which... I loved it because it was sort of this weird reminder that the world really is kind of big and there's no way that I could understand it all. Yeah, absolutely. That's for sure. And then things kind of stopped. And I 
have been telling people this since I started, and that is that the watch industry will have to reduce in size before it gets back to some type of stable baseline. I do think that there is a very healthy future for the watch industry, but it's it's in a different world with different rules. And I think the scary thing is that as we're seeing the industry shrink, mm-hmm. nobody wants themselves to sort of be shrunk out of it, yeah. right? Because we know that a lot of things have, and a lot of things have, have already had to go and no one knows quite how small it's going to get, which brands are going to fare best. There's just so many unknowns right now. And which that's ironic because that's what the watch industries hate the most is the unknown. Like they yeah. can't handle it. I know. Do you know, I mean, let me just mention Basel World. I think I'm like the only person that actually loved going to Basel World. I love it's got that. a bad <laughs> reputation, right? Isn't that sad? I know. It's so sad. But I mean, <laughs> I, I, I must be the only person on the internet loving Basel World. You know, I still have the catalog like from 2008 when it was, I think like uh, 1,000 exhibitors or something. I mean, the catalog yeah, was... Yeah, it used to be it was really like 2, big. 2,000 pages, you know? Yeah, It yeah. was huge, like five, six uh, different halls. It was uh, huge. I mean, I loved it. Uh, and, so, you know, just going from booth to booth and... So uh, wait, did you not experience the things that other people didn't like or were you just like, just ignore them and they don't face yeah, you? Yeah, but it depends. I mean, I can understand from small brands perspective or big brands as well i mean the cost of course like it's switzerland you had to pay the the uh, amount of having an uh, uh, you know a booth at basel world it's expensive i mean i understand that like uh, okay you couldn't find somewhere to uh, uh, there was not enough hotel for all the visitors I, I mean, it that, made it made no sense. Okay, I, it would made no sense. But as a trade show, I loved it. But everything around it—it <laughs> it had character, and it, I agree. I preferred character. it than I preferred it than SIHH. SIHH yeah. was not a bad experience, yeah. um, but Basel World was more fun. But it was fun right. because you had a bunch of people who all had the same challenges. It was kind of like being at yeah. boot camp or summer <laughs> camp. Yeah. Everyone was equally uncomfortable, and you had to laugh yeah. about it. Exactly, but I mean... Shared suffering is the number one way to make friends. Think about it. It really is. Shared it, it suffering. Is. <laughs> Shared That's suffering. why so many people make friends where? Yeah. In class or at work? Yeah. yeah but I mean, okay, the, you couldn't buy any food anywhere, so and it was like, <laughs> the toilets were far away oh, and God. like no hotels. Okay. I like that there was a law in Switzerland that yeah. says if so you want to use the bathroom, yeah. you have to either go up or down a flight of stairs. I, I you, know. There's no... It is against the law to have a restroom on the same level. Yeah, Absolutely exactly. against the law. And I did it in high heels all the year. Yeah, you did. And you you did something I could never do, which yeah. was dress to impress these people. Oh, I, I Look, I'm carrying around gear. I'm traveling. I'm American. I'm from California. I'm going to wear something that I'm not going to be uncomfortable in. And, and to this day, people will not stop hating me for, for being casual at work. <laughs> that's for sure but I mean uh, as a watch lover I am I loved it because there were so many brands I didn't have to travel all over the world to visit them they were just there the entire families the, everyone was there so I loved it you didn't they, even know what day it was it was yeah. like you were on a cruise yeah. but you never left anywhere yeah. is it dark outside who knows is it you know is it, uh, what time is it yeah. what, what day is it you had no idea you were, <laughs> Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, yeah, I love them. <laughs> Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blog to Watch store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the Blog to Watch store. Right now, the Blog to Watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the Blog to Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow in the dark face. The Blog to Watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Blog to Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now, and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com.
Watches and Wonders Mm -hmm. is coming up in late March of 2022. Uh, I will be there. It'll be in Geneva. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be the real return to the big trade show that everyone goes to. Rolex will be there. Patek Philippe will be there. All of Richemont Group. Maybe Swatch. LVMH is definitely going to do some of the area. You know it. It's going to be you know, the 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 closest return, it's going to be bigger than SIHH, not quite Basel World, in Geneva, which isn't that much better than Basel, let's be honest. <laughs> really not that much better. Um, are you, I mean, you're going to go, I, I presume, but what do you, what are you hoping for and what are you hoping doesn't happen? Like, what are you afraid of? No, I'm not afraid of anything. I mean, uh, I'm just happy to be back. Seriously, every time I, I go to Geneva and I uh, visit the brands. I just feel uh, alive again. Just you know, meeting them. It's the espresso the they keep giving you every yeah. fifteen minutes on the dot. In a plastic uh, sugar espresso, sugar espresso, sugar espresso. That's like all it is is hurry. Like that's the thing that I I, I remember when the it's first time. It's always in a like small little, uh, white plastic cup. Oh, the little cup. Yeah, but these a lot of these trips are like hurry up to your next meal. That's what yeah. it seemed a lot. Hurry up to your next meal. You're gonna eat again. And this uh, uh, white bread uh, uh, sandwich uh, that just tastes air. <laughs> and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, but you know what? There is some really good food in Switzerland. Switzerland is not a place Absolutely. that you can complain about the food too much. No, it's true. I feel like if, if SIHH or any of these shows ever happened in America, I used to like say it should happen in Orlando. Yeah. That would be the number one thing is I can just see all the Europeans just going crazy about the food. They're like, what is this? Like, this isn't, this is, you know, like just laughing about it or, or getting pissed off about it because it's not high quality enough. Okay, but if the food at the SIHH is one of the best food. I mean, then for a trade show, that's amazing. We're okay, able to but, just but, sit down and order foie gras. <laughs> I, you're right. Rosette is completely right. There's like the sit-down lunch, multiple courses, really great food, no doubt. But here's the thing. It's a trade show and you're running around to meetings and you're late. You had no option other than to sit down to have a proper meal. There was no to-go sandwiches. There's yeah. no like, I need something for this. There was opportunities to like have a sandwich in the meeting, 100%. Yet yeah. that was against the law. <laughs> yeah, but I could never eat while, uh, during a presentation. You can't do that. But uh, what I'm saying is like, yeah. you need to eat, but if you couldn't yeah. eat during lunchtime, they didn't even serve the whole day. They no, only serve food like for like a like a two-hour period in the middle of the day. It was so like, no, you have to eat at lunch. It's like, so the American idea of like, you make your own schedule, you can work eight hours straight. Don't worry, food will be served at the beginning, at the end. I it's know. like, oh, you missed lunch? Yeah, screw you, pal. That's why uh, and it was so good with Plaza being present in the Middle East and Scandinavia. So I could jump, uh, just jump in from to the Middle Eastern presentations or Scandinavian or international. So <laughs> uh, that's how you work it. The- so <laughs> we're looking forward to seeing everyone again. Are there particular brands, watches, price levels, designs, people? What I mean, like you have to have something to look forward to. I mean, we're still technically in the pandemic. We, we need hope. Of course I have. I mean, some of the brands became like, uh, I mean, good friends. I mean, I used to... Uh, if you think about it, I, um, if we meet them at least two times a year for trade shows and then uh, uh, traveling to Geneva back and forth for, you know, photo shoots and landouts and so on. I mean, you meet them more than some of your cousins or friends. So it will be um, a welcomed reunion for sure. Now, let's talk about some of the sort of darker side of things. You know, there's a lot of problems in these trade shows and things that probably shouldn't come back. What are some of the ways you hope they evolve and what are some of the things that you hope remains in the past oh interesting question because mm. you're a very analytical person and you're honest yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not going to share all your thoughts but that's why we're I friends know. is we both we both find the best by observing the worst i know but i may maybe being more uh, i mean the brands should be like more present you know when you could actually book an appointment and uh, go through the collection and, you know, be able uh, to talk with the CEO, the designer, the PR lady. I mean, that was being uh, present. I don't think I that's like going to happen. 
I don't uh, think they're going to be more of it. I, I agree with you. They totally yeah. should. But them being more organized, having yeah. more staff, more samples, all yeah. the things that like more money samples, costs. For sure. I mean, yeah. Um, that's when you actually understood the brand and, you know, uh, had a close relationship with, uh, with the collection. And I think that's, uh, that was like an educational uh, time when you could actually sit for one hour and talk with the people from the brand to see the entire collection. Now, I mean, you're uh, right. A, a no. lot of the annoyances that you and I experienced are definitely going to come back and probably be worse because it's an untested thing. You know, they always understaff it. They're always like, we'll do one year and then we'll see what we really need for year two. You know, like with yeah. Wi-Fi. Let's just try a whole year without Wi-Fi, huh? Yeah, I like no <laughs> Wi-Fi or big presentations. I've thought it may journalists inside so nobody could actually ask a question. So... And everybody and one, was, and one watch to go around. Yeah, hey, everyone, here's watch. six minutes for 35 people to take pictures of watch. Yeah, exactly. Have fun. That's all you need, right? Yeah, and we had to like wait for our turn to just see the watch. And sometimes we didn't have the time because we had to go to another meeting or a presentation. And we didn't have the chance to actually uh, touch it, be able to take a picture or, you know, just talk with the designers. So, yeah, that's something that could be improved for sure. Okay, well, we'll see how it goes. Yes. Um, let's let's sort of shift gears here for, for a second and go back mm -hmm. to the concept of watch photography, which is something we wanted to talk about. And we talked a little earlier about these productions, and you mentioned interesting detail that like twenty five people or a lot of people are involved in, you know, each of these productions. Why so many people? And tell the audience a little bit about what it takes to make like an amazing, highly produced watch, you know, picture. I mean, first of all, our team at Plaza Watch was unique. I mean, everyone was passionate about watches and art and photography. That's, I mean, rule number one, have a great team. Number two, but where did the team come from? Like, did you have to make it? These just, this is the type of person that's in, in Sweden? Like... You, you mentioned the team was important, but how did you? How did such a team come together to begin with? I mean, they were hired for. Uh, actually, they weren't hired for just Plaza Watch particularly. One was an art director for several magazines. I mean, Plaza Publishing Group had twelve magazines, interior decoration, fashion, and so on. But I think we all connected somehow during like a lunch break or something that we had design. Uh, photography and uh, watches uh, as a common interest and uh, we just became a, uh, a team we're like okay let's do this uh, for Plaza Watch and we were like a team of seven people um, and did so that did that require the brands to spend more or just spend differently because yeah. I presume that you know it costs more no 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 everyone was hired full time just that when I mean, Puzzle oh, okay. was only published three times a year. So when it was time to produce the magazine, everyone was uh, focusing on Puzzle Watch. So you had yeah. the luxury of time. You didn't have to write. Uh, you know, I, I, there was no, a no. point Such I was writing thing. on average three to five articles a day for about a year, probably okay. longer, maybe four years. I was writing between three to five articles a day. Yeah, but I mean, exactly. So that's the difference. So. Um, saying that Plaza Watch was a magazine, that's a, a bit wrong. It's more as a coffee table book, I would say, because we had I mean, it, it's, a year. It's the type of magazine that you don't want to throw away. Let's put it that exactly. way. Exactly. And nobody did. Everybody, I always had emails from people like, oh, I missed number 23. Could I please buy it or could you please send it to me? So I know that people were uh, collecting them. So um, You couldn't find yeah. them in America. It was really hard to. I never saw one in a newsstand here. I, I only, That's the reason I was sort of late on, on board because it wasn't in my market. And it wasn't until like I started going to Basel World and seeing the magazine like, and it was this nice, cool looking logo. And like you said, it had all that amazing mm -hmm. photography. I was like, who, like what, what's going on here? I, I want to know these people. Because it was yeah. like, it it took it seriously because so many of the other magazines, what you what here's here's the thing, they didn't take their own pictures. You not only took great pictures, you took pictures at all. Other mm -hmm. magazines took zero pictures. They mm -hmm. took marketing shots that brands made. That sometimes are just computer images or just boring no, catalog we, shots. We never did that. That's um, that was our room. We produced everything ourselves. But that made you different. Now, Blog no. to Watch was very much like that because I made sure that as often as possible, it was my own photography, which is, again, different because it was mostly 
images brands would release. And so that's what I noticed first because I knew how lazy most of the magazines were. The fact that Plaza Watch didn't just go ahead and republish those images that were given to them via email, just that alone set itself apart. And there's like, mm-hmm. even even back then when there was a lot more watch magazines, I think there was probably less than 20 in the world. And, and I think like 90% of them were in Japan that took their own images of watches. I mean, uh, so uh, that, that's true what you're saying. And uh, I mean, if we say like it was the team, of course, number one, passion. Then number two, we had the time to produce quality. I mean, uh, publishing the magazine three times a year gave us the time to actually go to Switzerland, if it was Rolex or Patek Philippe, to visit the manufacturer, meet the people, see the collection, take a picture of the collection, organize a photo shoot in Switzerland with a photographer that is expert in watch photography and having the watches sent to the studio to produce them and have a, a brainstorming session with the brand and the, with the photographer and our team. So you can imagine the work behind eight pages of watch photography. That's like one or two months preparations. So. I'm, I'm just jealous. That's literally all I'm thinking because I never had that luxury of time. I never had the team. I, you know, at that, especially when I was starting out, I never had the luxury to have budgets like that. I had to do everything by myself, um, quickly and competently with no mm-hmm. oversight. And I think what happened was that, you know, people that came from sort of the publishing world that was a lot more organized and high, and, and, you know, in a lot of ways, higher quality when it comes to the media assets, of course, was they were sort of like angry that I sort of like, you know, me and people like me took away the vibe, but there was never a lot of respect for how much we did with as little as we did, because you guys literally, I mean, I would have loved to be in your position, but you, you were living a life. I was like, I was working hard. I was like hustling really hard. I was grinding myself to the bone. And I would have loved to be living what sounds like a relatively comfortable life, being able to produce beautiful content and develop these close relationships with brands. Like, I don't think I got a lot of credit for, for the fact that that just wasn't even possible. Yeah, but I mean, we worked 24-7. We worked in a different way because when you work for something you love, it's not work. So... Even if you say you're hustling, we were hustling, but we were hustling for ourselves because we just loved when the magazine came from uh, the printers. I mean, it was, uh, you know, seeing a new baby every day at time. You know? No, it, it, it's, it's great, but I'm just saying like, it's it's a completely different way of getting the, the work product and people sort of put us in the same category as like watch media, which we are, yeah. but yeah. The, the actual day-to-day of what we, what we, what we do, what we did, whatever is very vastly different. And, and, and there needs to be both in the market. There needs to be both in the market. I, I know, but when you say like, I wish we had the budgets, I mean, of course we had a budget, but uh, we were sometimes working late until like one, one in the night or, you know, at 12 hours every day. Uh, and, you know, not being... Do I need to remind you what time, time I go to sleep? Yeah, <laughs> I know you, you worked late. But yeah, uh, just that... And the difference is when people are working from their heart, uh, that's uh, different. They just enjoy what they're doing and uh, that's not work anymore. So, um, yeah. You know, it's sad. There's very few people in the watch industry and maybe the luxury industry that get by without working very, very hard. Everyone that even like that just is semi-successful in the luxury watch space is a very, very hard worker. Not, not always the smartest people, but all the successful ones do work very hard. Would you agree? Of course. You can see, uh, see true. Uh, true directly. I mean, uh, I, I can see if a watch photography is made well or not. I mean, you can't be like semi-successful and not working hard. I mean, you have to work hard. Well, I mention it because that's the game. The game that everyone plays is I'm not working very hard. I'm hanging out a lot. My life is a vacation. Super successful. Everybody wants my stuff. And all I do is hang out and spend time on Instagram all day. Like they, they go so far out of their way to demonstrate to you that they're living this leisure lifestyle. Yeah. So, And how long term is that? You can do that for a couple of years. All I'm saying is that the 
The thing which is perceived as, as cool isn't, wow, so-and-so works so hard. It's, wow, so-and-so is really lucky. They don't have to do that much. Yeah, but there will always be people like that. They're just like uh, back in school when you ask someone if they made their homework. They're like, yeah, no, I was out playing with my friends. Uh, I didn't do my homework. And then they got, got an A. Uh, they're like, everybody. I told you exactly that. Ha- haven't you heard me say that this industry is like high school? <laughs> yeah, it is. But it's like the cool <laughs> kids uh, and the nerds. I would, uh, I would always say, I'm a nerd. I'm a beautiful nerd. <laughs> I've said, and I, and I stand by it, that Rolex as a company essentially employs like teenage girl tactics, like I, about yeah. being, you know, too cool for school. Yeah. And if you want them, they don't want you. And they're supposed to look aloof and unavailable. <laughs> uh, and, and that's how they want to be treated. Yeah. You know, so it, it's... And I think, that, I, I think they're super cool, honestly. <laughs> so you want to be Rolex's friend? I, I am Rolex's yeah. friend. But yeah, I, see? Yeah, but my favorites are Patek Philippe. <laughs> they are the so coolest. That, that, so do you like their their women's watches? Is that what you're saying? I love both their women and the men's watches. But uh, honestly, I think the company and the people at Patek Philippe are one of the best in the industry. Super respectable brand, no no yeah. doubt. But the yeah. 24, really? Yeah, but you... Okay, <laughs> the 24 is a is a relatively modern or newly released uh women's collection from Patek Philippe that isn't that elegant I I wouldn't know what to call it it's it's not very feminine I mean I was there for I I was there for the launch in Milan for the 24 I was uh, invited uh, among Okay uh, and what was your uh, initial reaction ministry? What was your initial reaction to the 24? I just uh, I just thought it was like something uh, new and refreshing for the women because they hadn't done anything for the women, I mean, uh, in the 24 for a long time. But I like the classic one for sure. But maybe uh, I'm a classic as a person. Very political, Rosette. Very yeah. political. Good job. Very good job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but my point here with uh, talking about Philippe is that I only wear brands that I... Uh, know the people behind and uh, respect and they are one of them in the industry for sure. I it, even, it is really cool. I even, yeah, and uh, I even bought my first Patek Philippe when I was uh, 30 for my 30th birthday. So, uh, and I'm proud of it. Uh, and it's not like what That's they are awesome. famous for now on social media. Oh, we should have the Nautilus or the Aquanaut. Oh, and the Every time I even hear <laughs> Nautilus, my eyes automatically roll. I don't know why. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah, my, I, I can see that. Yeah, so... Um, I'm just saying they're and they're great people. So well, I was saying yeah. it's really cool when you have a watch and you know the people of the company because it really right. sort of most consumers wouldn't know anyone at the company and they right. might love it, but like we're able to understand who's behind it and yeah. who designed it. Sometimes it exactly. it does add a lot to the experience. Exactly, and it does. I mean, uh, uh, if the people in the company are rude, I can't even you know wear the uh, brand. So. Um, uh, it has to come from the inside. <laughs> now, let's talk about the, the photography again. And I want to just sort of explore how a lot of this is made. One of the things that I've experienced is a lot of, we'll call them standard photographers, thinking they can take pictures of watches and then um, learning that they can't very quickly. What, what's your experience with people who think they can take pictures of watches and really, really can't? I mean, uh, uh, it's like saying what is art nowadays. I mean, you can just uh, draw a line on a paper and call it art. Uh, it depends. It has to speak to you, I guess. But I know also... Okay, I mean, like, you know, color correcting and it not being blurry and there being enough light. I'm talking about, like, fundamentals. Yeah, yeah of course. But, I mean, a picture can never lie if it's good. It just uh, speaks to you. Uh, and it's... Uh, 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 it has, uh, you know, a deepness to it. So of you course, say I mean, this while you laugh at bad watch photography. I know but I can, it. But I can see if the watch is photoshopped. Uh, you know, I can see if uh, the light is fake. I mean, you can see all of uh, that. Um, but when you see a very good watch photography, it's like you just want to rip the page out and uh, save it. Uh, I always do that when I buy a magazine. If I see something good, it can be an advertising campaign or just a picture of someone took it's uh, it's different yeah you just want to save the picture and that's what i, uh, I agree good. i agree 
And, you know, I I actually want to own someday the entire collection of Plaza Watch magazines. I don't have any because, again, none of them ever came up here. But, like, they are that nice. And I think that if you sold posters of some of those things, I don't know who owns the rights to that stuff right now. But, like, I think there's money in that. Of course. Yeah. The photographers? Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Good for them. I mean, that's not that's not always the case. <laughs> well, maybe they'll decide to do that. Here's a question, and I and I don't know the answer to it. So, a blog to watch right now has hundreds of thousands of images that is compiled over the years from myself and the various mm-hmm. phot- yeah. photographic team that might have some type of use uh, or, or value in some context yeah. as a collection. Um, and I'm just I always wondered because again, it's it's. There's going to be all kinds of people going to have pictures, but these are pictures, high quality pictures of things that have that are very rare, hard to get access to. Um, there's probably not going to be that much of them. I mean, a lot of these watchmakers that made this stuff, you know, were the ones that grew up and and, and sort of learned watchmaking when it was still a thing. Like those people are all going to be long, long dead, you know, forty years from now. Yeah, I know. But I mean, and I'm just, you know what I mean? I'm wondering, like outside of historic perspectives or even commercial perspectives, like, you know, who will, who will want to see all this stuff? You know, when I, I, I would use it as a library, you know, when you used to want the information, you went to a library and you Google in their computer about uh, searching for information, I think. Or the library in the museum. No, in normal libraries. I mean, in Sweden, like before Google and everything, I went to the library and they had like this computer and you would search for information. That's how I think like a blog to watch will be a library of information about watches back in the days. If I would, uh, uh, if I want a review of a watch, I I would search for uh, the watch and write a blog to watch. I would receive the review from 2008 or something. So... Yeah, I get, then some, maybe that's it. It's just, fact. you know, maintain the website, make sure it just lasts and lasts and lasts. Because, yeah. I mean, again, we take this for granted, but like today, we published this article, this watch from a company called Alchemists. And it's yeah. this guy that studied under Philippe Defour yeah. and he worked at Beauvais making stuff. And this is his own brand. And this watch costs like $210,000 and like 20 will ever be made. And it's just like crazy mm-hmm. nice. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there and I'm handling it and I'm you know, photographing it. And I'm realizing like very few people will ever see any of these watches. Like yeah, this is such a weird, rare, rare little thing that mm-hmm. this like master craftsman like put his heart and soul into. Like this is going to matter someday to somebody, like a lot. Yeah, I know. But a watch like that isn't for everybody uh, either. I mean, the one that will buy that watch will be interested and understand it. And I think the watchmaker... But it as sense. art, not the watches, but the f- photography of it, right? These are beautiful yeah. items. Yeah. Your work proved that. So yeah. the question is, absent these things existing in the world, will images of them be... Va- look, think of like landscapes. People love pictures of beautiful natural landscapes in their homes and mm-hmm. offices of places yeah. that don't represent where they live. Yeah. It's sometimes those places are like basically fantasies. Yeah. People love pictures of beautiful things that they can't see in their lives mm-hmm. on their walls. I've always thought that like a watch is something like that. It's mechanical, but it's beautiful. It's got these colors. It's, It just seems like it could put you in the right mood. Like there's this whole art market for watch photography that just seems to be sitting I, there. I know, but you're comparing different things. I mean, a watch uh, photography, uh, I know that most people, when they collect it or have it on the world, it's a watch that they dream about having one day or a watch that they actually own. Uh, so uh, I think that's the difference between the landscape or a home uh, uh, so you don't agree that they look nice. So you're seeing the object, the desirability object. I'm I, seeing. I, I can do it because I love. I love watches, so I can. I love all uh, kind of watch photographies and brands. But uh, it's because I am into watches in a different way. But uh, you, when you're talking about the uh, overall people that will not see uh, that particular watch or the, and the photographer of it, I mean. It's just that it's too niche for the mainstream market. Maybe, maybe. I It could be, but I think if you took pictures of the movement of this Alchemist watch, for example, and you showed it to random people on the street and it was a nice picture, be like, 
do you think this is nice looking? I think most people will be like, that's really pretty. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, uh, again, it's all about education and brand awareness sometimes and explaining. If you would stand there on the street showing the images and after, uh, afterwards actually explaining the watch and the watchmaker, I think people would love the picture uh, pictures even more. Yeah. You could be right. You could be right. I mean, again, I say this as someone who has been training myself, you know, over the course of a long time on what is a beautiful watch. I've seen so many of them. Like, I might just take for granted that that beauty can be seen in them. I, I don't know. Yeah, but it's, um, you know, when uh, people ask me, like, what's your thing about watches? Why are you so interested in it? It's like, when I've seen the inside so many times, when I, I've seen the assembling of a watch and uh, visiting the manufacturers, which I'm so happy and you know thankful, uh, I have a deeper knowledge than other people just seeing a, a image of a watch, uh, and that's different. Uh, like see. knowing things that other people don't know about. Exactly, and then you get an understanding of how complicated it is. Some people are like, oh, how can it be that expensive? Yeah, because it's a uh, it's a team of maybe eighty people uh, producing a watch for two uh, to three years. I mean, and it's a uh, produced of uh, two hundred parts. That that's when you understand what you're paying for, and then that's also when you can appreciate and the image of a watch. So when I'm and that's saying, the value. You know, or one of the sort of forms of exclusivity value in this space where only you and a select other group of people that have this knowledge can appreciate it. And that's what connects you. So you all know the story. Everyone else out there doesn't get it. And, you know, just going back to Patek Philippe, maybe it's a little bit different today, but that used to be the value proposition. Like to everyone else, it just looks like a watch, right? It's kind of this conservative, you know, what was a watch, you know? But to people that know... Oh, then you really can see that, get into it and appreciate it for what it is. And that, yeah. that of course, has been one of the amazing things um, about this hobby for many people. So yeah. we're, we're about out of time. We'll definitely have to talk more. I think our next show yeah. should definitely be after we go to Watches and Wonders in Geneva. Definitely. And, and then we talk about whatever we ha- what happened, what we experienced, and, and all the cool stuff we saw. Exactly. And we get to talk about your big 40 coming up next summer. And what? And if you're gonna buy a watch, and which watch? And what? Oh yeah, you want to talk about that? We we were talking because I'm I'm turning forty, and Rosette has pointed out I should probably celebrate with a watch. You know what the funny thing is? I didn't even consider that until you mentioned it. Like, even someone on our team has been going on about their fortieth watch, and until you mentioned it, I never thought to myself, Ariel should get a fortieth watch. You should. I mean, uh, it's not. I I, uh, I did it for my 30. It was like when I turned 40, I will. I mean, when is the best feeling when you buy a watch? It's uh, celebrating a milestone. What's a good amount to spend? Like your 40, like what should the, what should somebody who likes watches spend? Oh, stop, Ari. We can't talk about money here. It's like... Oh, it's, you're right. That's not uh, polite. No, no. And that's polite, but it has nothing to do actually with how expensive it is or... I think it's more <laughs> what watch represents your like, It's like the you're the ambassador of Switzerland. You're so yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> you're so... Every time you, yeah. bro, you like breach Swiss etiquette, you're right there with like the perfect thing to say. <laughs> this is... Ladies and gentlemen, this is why Rosette Hirsch is so good at her job. Just <laughs> right, quick on her toes, immediately correcting me. Don't talk about, and it's true. You're not supposed to talk about money in the luxury industry. As ironic as that is, that is the absolute rule. And no one says it to you. At least no one ever said it to me. I just had to learn it the weird way. <laughs> yeah, but it means, I mean, uh, every watch means differently. I mean, I could never sell my watches, and I have a, ver- a variety of uh, watches, and some of them are expensive. and some of them are less expensive, but I can, if I, uh, I can tell you about my less expensive watch, uh, but it means a lot to me. I, I went to Venice uh, this uh, summer and it was the best Venice experience I've ever had. There were no tourists, the streets were almost empty and you could just walk around there. And I passed by uh, a Swatch boutique and I went in and I've never actually bought a Swatch. And they had this Venice edition. Uh, oh, cool. And, and I bought it and it was lovely. I just loved it. And, you know, it had the stamp of the day when I uh, bought it. And uh, it had this uh, Venice, um, uh, um, what do you call it? Um, 
<laughs> like a logo, insignia, emblem. I I, I haven't yeah. actually. I flew it over was, Venice, uh, but I haven't uh, been there yet. Yeah, but it, I mean, uh, it was unique, and you could all, only buy it uh, in Venice, which I right. thought was a cool thing to do. But so that uh, is a cool thing to do. Yeah. So uh, I, I love it, and it's a nice memory. And it's a so. Swatch. You think I should get a swatch for my 40th birthday? Is that no, what you're saying? No, definitely not. <laughs> I <mean>. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta work it more. No, but and, and still, I you know what I love about swatches? Swiss made, and it's actually a, a, a good watch. Uh, I mean, I like it. You know, I'll yeah. probably just get the Rolex. I'll yeah. probably just like go to Rolex and be like, "Come on, guys, it's my 40th." Exactly. They're not gonna. They're not gonna say no. They're not gonna say no. And they're, and they're not gonna say yes. Either. Like begging, <laughs> begging for permission <laughs> to buy a watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Please sell me a watch. Could you, you know, be so kind as to give me the opportunity to give you a lot of money? Yeah. Could you do that? Would you allow me to give you tons of cash for your small metal object, please? Oh, I have one favorite Rolex I would love to have, but I can't mention it here because it will be even harder to get it. So Yeah, see? Yeah. That's the thing. I, I, but you know what? The one I want, no one would guess what it is. They just wouldn't guess what it is. Uh, my, mine, is a, mine is a vintage, I can tell everyone. So it's not a new one. Oh, but, it's a uh, vintage one. Yes, and I'm not going to say it here because or else, uh, everyone... Aren't you afraid of breaking vintage watches? That's the number one thing I worry about. They're so delicate half the time. They look great, and then you're like, wait a minute, this is really fragile. Yeah, but I mean, I love uh, looking at my watch collection one and then. Like, hello, okay. history. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like you know, there's like the um, I always thought this would be funny for like a sponsor, like a, like a, like a sorry, an April Fool's Day thing, where you know those have those like couches that have the plastic protectant protection on it. Yeah, it's like the same thing with a watch. Like you wear it, but there's like a like a a plastic you know sleeve that goes over it or something I like know. that to protect it. <laughs> <laughs> I had it on one of my watches, like underneath, and it felt like always oh, so good. It's like oh wow, it's still new somehow. <laughs> I know, but the, the whole thing is covered yeah. in like a plastic bag. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. that was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come up with more ideas for comedy. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Superlative Podcast. My guest once again has been Miss Rosette Hirsch. And you can listen to more later. Thank you so much, Rosette. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at ablogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?